Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. It's a year ago today that our, um, our priest and friend, Father Michael, passed out of this world, and I remember noting how, how worthy he was to pass away on the feast of the passing away of the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, and how apropos the lesson of Mary's passing and also her assumption to heaven is for reflecting on Father Michael and for all of us. This is a feast that is um, somewhat prohibitive for a lot of people coming from a certain Christian tradition or no tradition at all of faith into the Orthodox faith. I remember having a difficult time, as most people do, uh, coming into the Catholic faith and encountering Mary, her face, her image, all over the place. She's referenced in our prayers frequently, and she's almost always right there next to Jesus, wherever we look in the church. And I remember thinking at first, is this not overkill? Like, honestly, do we need this much Mary? She's all over the place. Like, great, she's a Christian, just like all of us, but how much Mary do we need? Um, we need a lot of Mary. The older we get in the faith, the more we come to realize how much we need Mary. The reason she's always next to her son is because she's showing us what to do. She's showing us how to behave. She's showing us how to live. Always being next to Jesus. Uh, seeking him out. Um, owning him as our own. And most importantly, letting him indwell us so fully that we become fully sanctified. This is really a feast about Easter. Um, <laughs> what we are about to hear is the story of how this feast came to be. I'm going to give a little bit of history, and uh, it's, it's an important context, but ultimately, by the end of this, uh, we're going to end by saying Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen, because this is all about Pascha, Easter. A feast day like this, for any saint, but especially about Mary, isn't really just about the saint. It's about Christ, to whom that saint conforms. Uh, there's, there are some Christians, like the tradition I grew up in, who tend to think of the kingdom of heaven as like a zero-sum game. So... Anytime a saint gets praise, that's praise that God isn't getting. But that's not how the kingdom of heaven works. Christ glories in his saints, and his saints glory in him. Christ's glory is not diminished when we celebrate those who belong to him. It's just the opposite, actually. His glory increases. And so we look to Mary and to the saints in order to more fully appreciate and understand Christ, who lives in his saints. And the occasion that we are celebrating today, like um, 
the, the birth of Mary, her entrance into the temple when she was a little girl, these things aren't found in scripture. They are contained in the tradition of the church. Um, but this story does go back to the earliest generations of the church. It's a story only first recorded, written down, however, with any authority in a letter preserved by St. John of Damascus, which was written in the 400s. And uh, this was when the patriarch of Jerusalem at the time, Juvenalius, wrote to the empress, Pulcheria. She had apparently asked for the relics of the Blessed Virgin Mary to be brought to Constantinople. The patriarch informed her that there were no relics of the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, but that according to ancient tradition, the body of the Mother of God had been taken up into heaven after her death. And he expressed surprise that the empress didn't know this. Um, to quote an apologist and author, Dr. Robert Stackpole, Juvenalius joined to his letter an account of how the apostles had been assembled in miraculous fashion for the burial of the Mother of God, and how after the arrival of the Apostle Thomas, three days after her burial, her tomb had been opened and her body was not there, and how it had then been revealed to the apostles that she had been taken into heaven bodily. Later in the 6th century, belief in the assumption was defended by St. Gregory of Tours, and no saint or father of the church thereafter disputed the doctrine. So, we learn two things from this letter from the 400s. First, and I think the most compelling, is that there are no relics preserved among the faithful of Mary's body. This is highly unusual. The bodies of the saints from the very earliest days of the church were looked after, guarded, and venerated, especially those of the martyrs. Christians would go collect the martyrs' bodies uh, from the amphitheaters where they had been torn apart by wild animals and bury them, and then they would celebrate the Eucharist over the tombs of the apostles and the saints and the martyrs. And the fact that the mother of Jesus Christ himself, who gave her flesh to God so that he could redeem our flesh, the fact that her earthly flesh and bones weren't preserved by the church, uh, by St. John, who was given the task of looking after Mary from the cross by Jesus, why in the world would that be the case? And the second thing we learn from the letter um, is actually the explanation for the first thing. <laughs> why Mary's body wasn't preserved. For centuries of oral tradition, the story was told of the apostles being at the funeral of Mary, all except Thomas, poor Thomas. He missed, he missed Jesus on the Sunday of resurrection, had to catch up a week later. Same thing happened. He, he missed the funeral of Mary, had to catch up. And when he got there, he requested to see her body. This is only three days later, though. When her tomb was opened, her body wasn't there. The apostles learned from the Holy Spirit that Christ had taken her soul and body to be with him in heaven. And we learn that this story was at least fairly well known because the patriarch of uh, Jerusalem was surprised that Empress Pulcheria didn't know it. So despite the lack of positive and direct historical evidence of Mary's bodily assumption into heaven, we do have shocking negative evidence of her missing relics. And we have the eventual written recording of the oral tradition of, of what happened. So it's good that we should obviously want more evidence. We live in a world of evidence now. And so we, we investigate farther. What can we say about this feast if all we have is negative evidence and a story? One important thing that we can do is ask, does this story jive with our faith? Is this some just weird uh, uh, miracle that was kind of arbitrary, or does this have the, the 
the taste, the ring of something God would actually do for us, do for Mary. It would be uh, silly in the extreme if the church not only preserved the story but actually uh, celebrated it liturgically if it didn't fit with the faith. Um, if it didn't actually fit with the saving action of God in the world of all the other miracles that God does. So there's a term that we can use to um, figure out if, if this does work. It's called, it's a term theolog- uh, theologians use, and it's called the analogy or the proportion of faith. It comes from Romans 12:6. this idea, the analogy of faith, where St. Paul says that any true prophesying will be done according to the proportion of faith. That doesn't mean that however much faith you have, that's the amount of prophesying you should do. What it means is that the prophecy must fit. It must be in the correct proportions to the rest of what has been revealed. Um, And so you can't prophesy something that doesn't fit with everything else. You, You certainly can't prophesy something that contradicts it. And that's why Paul tells the Galatians that even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we've preached to you, he is to be accursed. So, does this story of Mary fit with our faith? Well, yes, of course it does. Not only does it not contradict anything from the scriptures and from the apostolic tradition, it actually fits it perfectly, and we could even say fulfills it. How does it do this? During the lifetime of Empress Bulgaria, a council was called of the whole church, uh, what became the Third Ecumenical Council at Ephesus, to defend, in essence, the use of the title Theotokos, meaning birth giver of God, for the Virgin Mary, against those who reject her, uh, favoring instead the title Christotokos, birth giver of Christ. The church did affirm the title birth giver or mother of God precisely because that's who was in Mary's womb. Those rejecting the title didn't believe God had become 100% human in the womb of Mary, instead thinking of Christ as a man in whom God dwelt as a separate and distinct person. We Orthodox, of course, believe that the man Jesus and the Logos, the Word of God, um, are one and the same person. We believe that Jesus is the divine Logos, the Son of God, according to his divinity, now made the Son of Mary, according to his humanity, one and the same person. So that makes Mary, the pregnant virgin, the container of God himself. Now, is there another container of the presence of God in the Bible that you can think of? In the Old Testament, we read of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark, it turns out, was a type or typos of Mary. We don't have time to go into all the ways that Scripture tells us this, um, especially the masterful way St. Luke communicates this uh, in the account of Mary visiting her cousin Elizabeth. But suffice it to say, It's there. It's in the Bible, and it's very clear. St. Luke is very clear about this. So what? What does this have to do with the Assumption? Uh, So you remember how I said this isn't found in Scripture, this event? That's not entirely true. Um, It's not recounted as a history like we'd find in the book of Acts, nor is it referred to in any of the epistles of Paul or Peter. But in that great mystical vision of St. John, in, in fact, the exact... uh, portion of it that we read in morning prayer, we hear that, and this is a a verse we didn't hear in morning prayer. We're going to back up one verse from where we started this morning. God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen in the temple, and there were flashes of lightning, uh, peals of thunder, and earthquake, and heavy hail. 
So John describes this massive event where heaven is open. He looks into the temple of God and sees the ark, the ark of God. Was he seeing that old ark that was carried around by the Hebrews in the desert? Well, here's what he says in the very next verse. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was with child. This woman brought forth a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Clearly, this woman is Mary, the only woman ever to give birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations. And here, she's very clearly linked with the ark just mentioned and described in glorious apparel, indicating her well, glory. So the honor paid to the one creature in all of creation chosen to be the vessel of God from whom he would take our human flesh, who raised him, who parented him, but also treasured and wondered in her heart all those shining moments from that role of hers. His birth, the prophecies pronounced over him in the dedication in the temple, the finding of him teaching when he was 12, and who could even prompt him by her holy intercession to commence his very first public miracle. This honor paid to her is eminently fitting to the mother of our king that makes her actually the queen mother, um, a, a very Jewish role in the Old Testament. The king honored highly his queen mother, and the king of all the Jews in all the world honors his queen mother. And that makes her the mother, the queen of, of the universe. If Christ is the king of all creation, Mary is the queen mother. And that's why she's described in this cosmic clothing in John's vision. And in Psalm 132, we read with new eyes the meaning of verse 8. Arise, O Lord, into thy resting place, thou in the ark of thy strength. Arise, literally, Christ, in your glorious ascension to your heavenly temple and rest, sitting at the right hand of your Father, and take your ark, your holy mother, there with you. So, I said this isn't in Scripture, but it is described. It's there in the psalm. It's there in John's revelation. We see Christ ascending to his throne, and we see him taking his ark there with him, his mother. I think only, honestly, stubborn recalcitrance could prevent the conclusion and the happy affirmation that it's fitting for Mary to have been preserved from bodily corruption and taken up to be honored at the side of her son, she whose body was guarded through perpetual virginity, to have welcomed first and only the sacred incubating chamber for the only begotten Son of God. Um, and that's great for Mary, good for her. We should honor her because of that. But what does that mean for us? Is the only thing for us to do here honor Mary? Or is there something that Christ is also doing for us by bringing us into the celebration of this feast? There is something Christ is doing for us. Here's what it is. The Dormition, the falling asleep, and the Assumption, or the Resurrection, of the Blessed Virgin Mary are just two words for her death and resurrection. That's what we're talking about today. I said this is going to be about Easter. We believe Mary was chosen to be the Mother of God not just because she was lucky, but because she was the most like Him, being full of grace, as Gabriel said. And she, as the creature most like her Creator and Savior, by measures that we can't even fathom, fittingly conformed to him, even in following him as the first fruits of resurrection. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 
that Jesus in his resurrection shows us that resurrection is in store for us too. And that's really the whole point of the gospel, the good news, that God will preserve and radically renew what's good in this creation, including our bodies, through a kind of beautiful continuity. So in Jesus' resurrection, we see the first fruits, the foretaste of this. But Mary, being so conformed to her son, is like the first fruits of the rest of us. It's like this. Jesus shows that our humanity is now capable of this new resurrection life, right? But he's also God. We're not. He became one of us, but we are not fully God as he is. So, in order to demonstrate to us, I think, to our great comfort, that mere creatures are also capable of this same resurrection life, he raises up his mother. She demonstrates what Paul said is true. Christ, the firstfruits of all resurrection, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Christ is like the firstfruits of all humanity, and Mary is the firstfruits of those who belong to him. I think that's a beautiful, wonderful grace to see enacted a human being, a mere human being, following Christ in his resurrection. And Paul says that this is what is in store for all of us, that Christ sits upon his throne and that we all, each in his own order, will be raised and take our place in the temple. And Mary is the first in order. So she's first, and we see her do what all of us are called to do, to be raised in, raised with Christ, join with him in reigning over creation. So what we're celebrating today does make Mary exceptional in the sense that she's the first and she's the greatest. But it's not exceptional in the sense that she's the only. She's just the first. We all are destined for this glory if we stay in Christ. We will be raised with him and we will reign with him. I think this is an amazing feast day when we contemplate what it means, not just for her, but for us. Today, we don't honor Mary as an exception, but as an example. Her glory certainly does not diminish Christ's, but then neither does it diminish the other saints, nor ours. This is not a zero-sum game, remember? The kingdom of God is about superabundant grace, and so we rightly honor, venerate, and give our Ave to she who is full of grace, to the glory of God the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God is one. Amen. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.